Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. You're listening to 3 and 30 Takeaways for Moms, and this episode is sponsored by Daily Harvest, a meal delivery service that provides sustainably sourced, chef-crafted food built on fruits and vegetables. I love having Daily Harvest meals stocked for a quick, nourishing, and delicious breakfast. When my kids start school in a couple of weeks, I won't have to share with them. But in the meantime, I don't mind. It feels like such a treat to have something waiting for me in the freezer. I love the strawberry and peach smoothie, and they also have delicious oats called forager bowls. My very favorite flavor is the cinnamon and banana bowl. It also has butternut squash in it, and so it's extra nourishing and filling. Daily Harvest also has tons of options for later in the day, like flatbreads, soups, and bites too. We all deserve easy mornings. Let Daily Harvest give you one less thing to worry about. Go to dailyharvest.com slash 3and30 to get up to $65 off your first box. That's dailyharvest.com slash 3and30 for up to $65 off your first box. dailyharvest.com slash 3and30. Welcome to 3and30, a podcast to help you feel more like yourself within your motherhood. Each 30-minute episode features three actionable takeaways to help you become a more self-assured mom someone who knows yourself, honors your needs, and loves your people. Listen in to feel encouraged as we learn together how to overcome overwhelm and find more magic in motherhood. I'm your host, Rachel Nielsen. I'm so glad you're here. With summer break well underway and in some parts of the country possibly already over, Maybe like me, you're a bit worried about your children's screen time use. I always start the summer with a plan to limit the time we spend on devices. But by August, with long days at home and bored kids and long car trips and vacations, where sometimes I just need a break to think, I default to giving my kids screen time much more often than I would like. And then I feel guilty about it. That's why I'm so excited to interview Dr. Katie Davis today, all about what the research shows about kids and screen time. Dr. Davis is an associate professor at the University of Washington and the director of their Digital Youth Lab. For nearly 20 years, she has been researching the impact of digital technologies on young people's learning, development, and well-being. In her latest book, Technology's Child, Digital Media's Role in the Ages and Stages of Growing Up, She brings clarity to what we know about technology's role in child development and provides guidance on how to help children of all ages make the most of their digital experiences. Dr. Davis holds two master's degrees and a doctorate in human development and education from Harvard Graduate School of Education. I can't wait for you to hear the insights from today's expert guest, so here's my conversation with Dr. Katie Davis. Dr. Katie Davis, welcome to 3 and 30. We are so happy to have you joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be with you. Well, you are truly an expert in the topic of the impact of digital media on children's well-being. And I know this is a topic that weighs really heavily on a lot of us parents. And so we're grateful to have you come to share really research-backed facts about 
how we can integrate technology into our kids' lives in a way that is safe, that can even benefit their development, and to kind of lessen our worry and fear around this topic. It seems like that's really part of your mission of what you do. Yes, absolutely. There's a lot of fear out there, which, you know, I've been in this area studying kids and technology for almost 20 years now, and I've been aware of this, but it really hit home when I became a parent myself six Mm. and a half years ago. Just how much stress and pressure there is for parents to get it right, not just when it comes to their kids' technology use, but just in every aspect of their kids' development. And this is just one more thing that parents have to worry about on a daily basis. And that was really my intent with this book is to bring all of that research, which can be kind of dense and complex, but to bring it and condense it in a way that is concrete and actionable for parents and really anybody who has kids in their lives. Mm, Yes. I'm excited for you to bring three takeaways, three of the things that you've learned through all of your many years of research to us today in this quick conversation. And then I hope that listeners will also pick up your book and dive in more deeply if they're interested. And so why don't we just get started with your first takeaway of what we as parents can think about and understand as we are making decisions for our children's technology use. Yeah, okay. So my first takeaway is to try as much as possible to resist a one-size-fits-all approach to kids and technology. And that can be hard because you open up the paper, you open up your tablet, your phone, you read the headlines, and they aren't necessarily fine-grained or nuanced. It's generally saying social media is bad for teens and it causes anxiety and depression. Those types of headlines are based on research that involves large numbers of children and really looking at average trends in the population of children and adolescents. And that can be helpful to a certain degree to give us a baseline general understanding of general trends in a population, but no child is average. And so no child is going to neatly fit on that average trend line. And so in my work and a lot of research in recent years, we're trying to really get specific about, well, what's the interaction between individual children and their temperaments, their maturity level, their developmental level, and the technologies they're using? What sorts of contexts are their technology uses taking place in? So what sorts of supports do they have in their family, in their school, their friend groups? And then also, what kinds of technology are they using? It's really important to focus on the technology and how it itself has been designed and looking at how the design itself can shape young people's digital experiences. So, you know, it's really important as a parent to think about what are the specific ways that my child is using technology and what is my child like? How are they reacting to their technology use? And to really understand that, it takes careful observation, a lot of ongoing conversation with your children to really understand that the unique interaction between your particular child and their digital experiences. Yeah. Well, I appreciate this takeaway because I feel like so many of the headlines bring so much fear and anxiety. And I really don't feel drawn to parenting resources that are fear-based. I feel more drawn to those things that give advice on ways that we can use tools positively with our children and in our homes than just to say it will destroy your kids, wipe it all out altogether. Because the truth is, is that 
technology is here to stay and we can't keep yes. our kids away from it completely. We can try, but eventually they will leave home and they will be interacting with technology. And so we have to make individual decisions based on our kids, our context, using the research as a lens of what is best for our kids. So I really appreciated hearing that somebody with as much research background as you that have looked at all the studies really advocates for us to think about our individual kids in the broader scheme of the research. Absolutely. And, you know, just to take a concrete example, if you look at social media and teens, you could have two teens who are having wildly different experiences on social media. Maybe one teen is approaching their TikTok use or Instagram use as an opportunity or a venue for learning something new, either cooking or music or developing some sort of talent and even sharing their talents with a broader audience than their immediate environment offline. And that can be a really empowering experience. On the other hand, you could have another teen who comes to their social media use using the exact same platforms but with pre-existing anxiety or perhaps body image concerns. And they start looking at all of the attractive images on TikTok and Instagram, and it reinforces these insecurities and it develops into a vicious circle. And you can see how these two teens, they can be having very different experiences because they're bringing different prior experiences and different contexts with them to the social media use. So it's really important to really understand the particular child and how they're interacting with the technology because there are some fantastic opportunities online and different platforms. But though it is true, there are some dangers depending on how these technologies are used and who is using them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this takeaway also really reminds me how important it is not to judge other parents and their decisions for their particular children. Absolutely. And I'm guilty of that. I'm pretty anti-smartphone for under a certain age. And there's been times when my kids' friends have smartphones and I'm like, what a strange parenting decision, you know, and I like <laughs> jump to that. And then I'm like, that child is not my child. I do not know their life, the context, any of it. And so it's important for me to just make decisions for my child and let other families make decisions for their children and trust, especially these families I know are really good families. I know they would make an informed decision for their kids and I don't need to have an opinion about it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just taking a breath and saying, you know what, there's a bigger context behind what I'm seeing right now that can probably explain these particular decisions and what works for one family isn't necessarily going to work for another family or even within one family, what works for one child may not necessarily work for another. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's take a quick break to thank this episode's sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by KiwiCo, a monthly subscription box of seriously fun and enriching art and learning projects for kids of all ages. I live for the core memories Ryan and I make with our kids during the summer, whether we're on an adventurous trip or right in our own beautiful town. One of my favorites these days is hiking in the mountains with our dog Petra along and basking in the wildflowers and beauty all around us. KiwiCo invites kids and kids at heart to celebrate the season of discovery through hands-on fun. KiwiCo delivers monthly science and art projects that turn curiosity into creativity. From creating giant bubbles to experimenting with ice cream, kids will learn in a fun, hands-on way. I know I'm waxing sentimental here, but it's so fun to think about how KiwiCo projects have grown with my kids. From the mini arcade and spy kit when Noah and Sally were younger, 
to the doodle and eureka crates that they look forward to these days, I appreciate how high quality the materials are. These are real engineering, science, and art projects for children. Have an awesome summer with KiwiCo. Get 50% off your first month plus free shipping on any crate line with code 3in30 at KiwiCo.com. That's 50% off your first month at KiwiCo.com. Promo code 3in30. This podcast is also sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Today on the show, we're discussing a hot topic, screen time. I've noticed that when talking about screen time with moms or when reading about it online, parents have so many feelings and opinions. It's such a personal topic that looks different for every family, and I think that can cause us to feel a little insecure or even defensive in our choices. Sometimes in life, we're faced with confusing choices, and the path forward isn't always clear. Whether you're dealing with decisions around your parenting, or it's your career, or anything else, therapy can help you move forward with confidence. Trusting yourself to make decisions that align with your values is like anything. The more you practice, the easier it gets. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your unique schedule, done all online. Fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com 3in30 today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com 3in30. So the first takeaway is you have to know your individual kid, but the second takeaway is, okay, so what questions do we ask in order to make these decisions for our individual child? Yes. So this is where I have a good understanding of the research from young children all the way through teens and emerging adults. And there's a lot of nuance there. There's a lot of complexity there. And it can be confusing for parents to figure out, well, what am I supposed to do here? It's all well and good to say one size fits all approach doesn't work. Take it kid by kid. But what am I supposed to do today? How many episodes of Paw Patrol should I let my child watch or... When should I get my child a smartphone and so on? And so in the book, I introduce this two-step decision tool to manage decisions around your child's tech use. And it really comes down to asking yourself for any particular decision you're trying to make, asking yourself two core questions. And the first question is, is this experience self-directed? And by self-directed, I mean experiences that really put your child in the driver's seat of their technology experiences. So it's where they're calling the shots, they're directing the experience rather than the technology co-opting their attention and directing them without them really feeling like they have agency and autonomy. As an example, if you think about younger kids, my son is six now, but when he was three and four, he used to like to play different games on his tablet. And one of them was a Paw Patrol game that was very clear he had to go from one part of the course to the end in a, as most efficient way as possible, collecting treats along the way and badges. And I could just tell as he was playing this game that his attention really wasn't in his control anymore. You know, he was being led by the mechanics of the game. Sometimes we call these mechanics that are really aimed at keeping you engaged for as long as possible. They're called dark patterns. So a classic example of a dark pattern would be the autoplay feature on Netflix or YouTube where you don't uh -huh. have to do anything. It just automatically advances. 
So it's these features that just keep you engaged for as long as possible without regard to your own sense of well-being. And so there are a lot of examples of dark patterns in kids' technology use, things like characters in a game who cry when you try and log off, collecting as many points as you can, virtual rewards, um, even just making it difficult to navigate your way to the home screen in order to exit. That is a form of dark pattern. And these are all examples of technology experiences that are not self-directed. And so as much as possible, you really want to seek out technology experiences where your child calls the shots. Now, this is, I'm not by any means saying that it should always be this way. Every single technology experience should have your child in control and self-directed because there are certainly a time and place to just veg out on the couch and watch Netflix. And Oliver and I certainly do that a fair share ourselves. But on the whole, I'm trying to, as much as possible, introduce Oliver to experiences with technology where he's creating something, where he's navigating or learning new skills. He loves drawing apps where he can really go crazy with whatever his imagination has in his head. And so really looking for those opportunities where the experience is open-ended, it allows for some creativity, it allows for your child to exert their agency. Those are the kinds of experiences that are best for children. So that's yeah. the first question. Is okay. it self-directed? Uh, the second question is, is it community supported? And by community supported, I mean, what are the sorts of supports that a child has surrounding their technology experience? So when my son is on his tablet, I'm as much as possible trying to, at least if I'm not engaging with him, which I try to do sometimes, but at least trying to understand what he's doing and I can ask questions and maybe extend the learning outside of whatever game he's playing. And so I guess a good example of that for little kids would be, you know, a literacy app where you're learning the letters of the alphabet. You can start to name objects around the house that start with the letters that you're learning on the app, things like that. And when you start getting into older ages, parents continue to play a really important role in supporting their children's technology use when it comes to figuring out how to navigate your first smartphone, social media, and so on. So community support continues to be really important. And also when children get older and start interacting with other people on social media platforms or gaming platforms, the community support can also come within the platform. So it's really important to tune into what kind of atmosphere, what kind of culture is my child experiencing on TikTok or Snapchat or Discord? Are these positive interactions or are they toxic? And so the kind of community support that they're experiencing in the platform itself is also really important. So really those two questions, is it self-directed? Is it community supported? Asking yourself that every day can actually take you a long way to figuring out what is a good technology experience for my child and what is not? That's beautiful. I'm going to use those two questions for sure as I think about and analyze the different technologies that my kids love to use. Both of my kids really enjoy Minecraft. And that's one where it seems like they're creative. It's self-directed. Absolutely. They're creating the worlds. And they often play together which is really fun for me to watch. And my older son will sort of teach his sister how to do things and create things. And 
I was pretty anti-video game. I didn't want to get my kids a Nintendo Switch for a lot of years, and we finally did a year ago, and I was very surprised by how positive playing Mario Kart together. Mm-hmm. And like, we'll sit down and have a Mario Kart tournament. I'm like, this is really positive. This is building community in our family, which is a great thing. One thing that stood out to me in your outline, you mentioned that it's best when technology experiences are started, sustained, and ended voluntarily. And I kind of chuckled when I read that because I thought about my own kids and how started and sustained voluntarily is easy for them. Sure. (laughs) Ended voluntarily is a stretch. Yes. I've never seen my children just be like, oh, I'm done with Minecraft time. I'm going to turn it off and go do something else. It's almost always me saying, okay, it's been enough time or telling them at the beginning, set a timer. And when it goes off, you're done. So can you elaborate a little bit more on that concept of ended voluntarily, what that looks like and what the ideal is for our children to sort of get them to that place where they can direct when they're ready to be done? Yeah, no, I think this is probably the most challenging aspect of figuring out a self-directed technology experience is the ending part, and especially with video games and I also have been very resistant to letting Oliver play video games and he's read all the books about Minecraft and hasn't yet played it, but he knows everything. He's very ready. (laughs) Um, And it's not because I'm anti-Minecraft, because as you say, there's amazing opportunities in this game for creativity and self-direction and interacting with other people. And I think that is all very positive. It's just, it can be really hard to put it down. And so I'm just trying to wait for the time. He, you know, Oliver's only six, so I would like him to develop a little bit more um, self-regulation skills first before we introduced Minecraft. And we're really going to have to lay out some clear rules in the beginning, I imagine, that we're going to have to have the timer and be very strict about ending the time. But I'm hoping that over time, this will just become an expectation of, okay, there's a set time with a video game or whatever it is that is so engaging. And then I really need to move on because too much time playing anything or doing anything is not good, whether that's with technology or doing something else. It's good to mix it up and it's good to have that balance. And I don't expect that Oliver will get this and then be done because I struggle to regulate my technology use as an adult. It's an ongoing process. And it's back and forth, and it really requires community support from parents, teachers, anybody else in the in a child's life. And so that ended voluntarily, you know, that's an aspirational thing that this is what you're working towards, but it's certainly not you achieve it and you're done because there's always going to be the next thing that comes out that is just so riveting and engaging. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that seems like those dark patterns don't help that they want want to keep kids on these apps longer and longer. So keeping a lookout for that and helping them to see, I think explaining to my kids, you know, Netflix wants you to keep watching. That's why they have this feature. And it's up to you to take control and to turn it off when they have that countdown. I think you can also turn that off. At least you used to be able to. Yeah, you can. And it's actually quite easy setting up a kid's account in Netflix. I I believe that the kid's account is default that it disabled autoplay, which I think is great. Mm -hmm. Um, And YouTube, for instance, fairly recently disabled autoplay for minors accounts for under age 18. So there are some small positive steps that these companies are taking 
But I definitely think that parents have such an important role to play in having these conversations about how this technology has been designed and that it's not just you, individual, who's having a hard time signing off, logging off, but it's actually been designed specifically to make it hard for you. So it's, mm -hmm. it's hard for all of us. And the tricky thing is that you can have a fantastic digital experience that is teaching skills, creativity, and all these things. And it can be extremely engaging and hard to put down. And those, I think, are the toughest situations because it's not clearly one or the other, all good or all bad. It's a kind of a mix of both. And so really understanding and having that awareness of why it is so hard to disengage and trying to develop those skills and self-awareness of monitoring yourself. And I mean, those are just such critical skills in general for kids to develop, whether or not it's technology focused. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then what is your third takeaway for us? So my third takeaway is embrace the good enough principle of digital parenting. And this really comes from the recognition as and when we were speaking in the beginning of all the pressure that is put on parents' shoulders around getting it right when it comes to their kids' technology use, especially in a research context where there are a lot of open-ended questions and we don't have very clear-cut answers to provide parents. But there is that pressure for parents to get it right. So I offer this idea of the good enough digital parent, which I draw from a concept uh, that comes actually from the mid-20th century. A pediatrician named Donald Winnicott wrote about the good enough mother. And this, you know, back in the 20th century, still we've got those gender roles. And so I've updated it for the 21st century, the good enough parent. But Winnicott argued that it's actually good for children to not have their parents come and answer and be ready to fix all of their problems or to get them unbored if they're bored or to sort out a fight that they're having with siblings or friends. It's actually good to take a step back occasionally and let your kids figure it out for themselves because that's really how they develop resilience. And so Winnicott argued that as a parent, you're not aiming for being there and getting it right 100% of the time. Well, first, it's just not realistic as a human. And second, it's just not in your child's best interest. And so if you transfer that idea to the digital realm and think, okay, as a good enough digital parent, I'm doing my best to steer my children towards self-directed, community-supported digital experiences recognizing that not all of their experiences are going to fit that description perfectly every time. You're going to get it wrong sometimes. That's okay. But it's important to be engaged, to really observe carefully and pivot as required. And, you know, it's kind of like as a parent, you're a scientist where you're, you're trying out things that are going to perhaps work for your child, observing what happens and then changing course as needed. And so good enough digital parents, they're very involved, they're doing their best, but they're also giving themselves a bit of a break knowing this is really tricky territory that's moving every day. And so they're giving themselves a little bit of grace. And that grace extends also to their own digital media use. I've done studies where we talk to parents and there's a tremendous amount of guilt that parents have around their own technology use, feeling so guilty when their kids complain that their parents are on their computer or their phone too much. 
And so the good enough digital parent recognizes that they're going to slip up sometimes too. They're going to be distracted by their technology use because, as I said earlier, these things have been designed exactly for that purpose. And so it's hard for us intentionally to put these things down. What I try and do when I inevitably slip up around my son is I try as much as I can to use this as a teaching moment where I say, you know what? I've been totally distracted by my phone. Let me put that down and let's resume the game that we were playing or whatever we were doing and really try and refocus. Mm. And so really, I think that it's both of those things that the good enough digital parent does is doing their best with their kid, recognizing it's not going to be perfect, um, and then also extending that grace to themselves. Mm. What a hopeful note to end this interview on. Thank you for ending on that. I know all of the moms who listen to 3 and 30 are invested, careful parents, and, and sometimes that can become a burden. And I end every podcast episode with some version of you're doing a really good job or I'm rooting for you. And I really believe that. I believe that if you care enough to listen to a parenting podcast, you're a good parent and you're not going to get it perfect 100% of the time. And that's okay. But giving your kids that grace, giving yourself that grace is really, really important. So I'm so glad you ended on that and just really grateful to you for coming on 3 and 30. If listeners want to learn more from you, where do you suggest they get started? Yeah, I think the best place to go is my website. You can download a free sample of my book, Technologies Child. My website is katiedavisresearch.com. And you can also sign up for my newsletter where I write about the concepts and technologies child and I apply it to things that are going on in the news and sometimes in my own life with myself as a parent. All right, great. Well, thank you so much, Katie, for your time and for writing this book and for coming on 3 and 30. Thank you so much for having me. That was such an empowering conversation for me as I navigate life with a middle schooler and try to figure out how to guide and protect him in our tech-heavy world. I really needed Dr. Davis's grounding, grace-filled, and research-backed takeaways today. And as a recap, she taught us, first, resist a one-size-fits-all approach to kids and technology. Research involving large numbers of children is valuable because it can give us an overall impression of general trends. However, no child is average. Making decisions based on population trends overlooks the individual, and you should consider your child's unique temperament, personal history, social context, and family context when making decisions about technology. Second, ask yourself two questions when making decisions about your child's tech use. Is this technology self-directed? And is this technology community supported? The more self-directed a technology is, the better. These types of technologies give a child ample opportunities for agency, creativity, and development, and ideally don't utilize dark patterns in their design to keep them mindlessly engaged. The more community-supported a technology is, the better. That might mean you learn about the tech and engage with them as they use it or reinforce positive themes from the tech in their everyday life, and it also might mean that the community they engage with as part of the technology is positive. So when making decisions about your child's tech use, consider how you might encourage the use of technologies that are self-directed and community-supported. And third and finally, embrace the good enough principle of digital parenting. This is such an important takeaway to end on. We are not going to be perfect at managing our children's tech use or our own tech use. We are going to make mistakes. 
We aren't always going to be able to engage with them in a community-supported way, and they are going to be okay. And let me be clear, good enough digital parenting is not about taking the easy way out or shirking your parental responsibilities. It's about figuring out what works for your particular family and situation and steering your kids towards positive technology experiences while also knowing that not everything will be of equally high quality. You aren't going to be perfect at this or any other aspect of parenting, and you are still a good parent. Please remember that. My friend, I am always rooting for you, and I hope that you have a beautiful week with your family. I'm Stacy Toth. And I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne. And we'd like to invite you to come listen to our podcast, The Whole View. Each week, we follow the science for an in-depth answer to a listener-requested topic related to health and wellness. But we're not your typical health show. We're talking emotional and physical, looking at dozens of scientific studies to support our answers. You might be surprised what the science can tell us. When we share practical tips and embarrassing personal stories, we make sure no one is left thinking perfection is the goal. In fact, this one time at Bandcamp... Uh uh, not now, Stacy. Oh, right. Sorry. I was about to get on a soapbox again. The whole view is exactly that. A comprehensive and holistic look at important topics that likely resonate with you. We also take a body positive approach. And instead of engaging in diet culture, we focus on what the actual medical research says are the healthiest choices in terms of diet, lifestyle, and non-toxic living. And we're not afraid to bust myths that are trending in health conscious communities. Join us to laugh and learn and just feel like you're hanging out with your two nerdiest besties. Check out the Whole View podcast wherever you listen. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode.